I'm aware that the title of this podcast might seem like an attempt by me to be provocative. (laughs) And I want to assure you here from the get-go that that is not the case. I mean, not that I'm above that or below that even. And not that I won't title podcasts in the future accordingly. And I'll definitely title email subjects in an effort to get you to open them. But this here today, what it is that I'm saying is simply a truth that you might not know. But if you do know, it very well might be a key element in freeing up how it is that you use your voice. So with that being said, let's cut right to the chase and tell it like it is. You don't have to worry about singing in tune. You don't have to worry about singing in tune. Has anyone ever told you that? You don't have to try to sing in tune. You don't have to manipulate or maneuver your way into singing in tune. You don't have to push anything, squeeze anything, shove anything, grab for anything to get in tune. Now you might be thinking right away, what? Davin, sometimes I sing out of tune. Yeah, I know, I know. Welcome to the club. But what I'm telling you here is don't worry about it. Your intonation issues are a symptom, not a cause. Symptom, not a cause. So we're going to explore and unpack exactly what that means. But I want to give you just a little bit of context here about what it is that we're even talking about when we're talking about singing in tune. Now, you're probably familiar with the idea of what a pitch is or what a tone is. And I'm not going to break this down completely, but in simple terms, the measurement of the sound wave of a pitch or a tone is called the hertz. So different sounds have different frequencies of waves that are measured by hertz, and so most pitches have a number that's associated with them. In Western music, especially in contemporary Western music, the most famous pitch is that of A440. A440 is the sound that an orchestra tunes to. It is the sound that they try to get all of the different instruments to relate to accordingly. And A440 sounds like this. And in my voice, that sounds like... Now, of course, when an orchestra plays or let's say a band plays and they use this pitch as a guidepost, it's not because they're going to keep playing this pitch. It's because they are going to play other pitches that need to be relative to some pitch. (laughs) And that some pitch is this pitch, A440. Now, just a quick side note that you'll find fascinating if you don't know already. Orchestras didn't always tune to A440. Bands didn't always tune to A440. This is a modern development. In fact, if we just look back at the Baroque period of music, the 16th, 17th century of music, we'll find that orchestras tuned to A415, 415 hertz, which is a lower pitch. In fact, there's some record of orchestras tuning to as low as A392. 
So the reason I'm telling you this is that our pitch sensibility, the way in which we hear pitch is very relative to the time in which we live and the cultural context. Our idea of pitch is <laughs> not real, but it is real. Pitches are real. Hurts are real. But the way in which we relate to them is very much something that we're conditioned into something we're given, something we're handed. So in contemporary Western culture, one benchmarker, one way of understanding what it is that I'm saying about pitch is to think about a piano, a keyboard. Regardless of whether you understand the piano, whether you know anything about it, in your head you can pull up what a keyboard looks like, and you know that there are different keys that represent different pitches. And each of those keys is in relationship to each other. The system that we generally hear pitches within, and again, this differs if you're from an Eastern or Middle Eastern um, musical cultural context, but is this idea of half steps and whole steps. So if you go to middle C on the piano, the absolute middle key, it's a white key. And if you go the key that's closest to it, it's a black key. It's one half step up. That relationship to that sounds like this. Ba, ba. Half step. Let me do that again for you. Ba, ba. Okay, but then if you were to move from the C to the D, which is the next key up, the next white key, it sounds like this. Ba, ba. Hear that difference? Ba, ba. Now, if I sang each of those in order, ba, ba, ba. Do you hear the, how they relate to each other? This is the context within which we understand most music, these types of intervals. So when we're hearing pitch, when we're hearing intonation, we're generally thinking in these terms. When you hear a song, when you hear a melody, you're hearing a composition of a number of pitches that relate to each other in these terms in a way that please the composer and ideally please the listener. So for instance, let's keep it simple. Let's start with Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. Based on what you just heard about whole steps, half steps, the way in which those are relating to each other, listen to this. Ba, 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 ba. If someone is tasked with singing Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, we expect that they replicate those pitches as they relate to each other, just like that, just like what I did. But if you hear someone sing and they go, ba, 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 we call that out of tune, out of tune singing. Now, some people aren't really aware of the specifics of a way in which the pitches aren't relating to each other well, and so they just call it bad. <laughs> they just say that doesn't sound good. But if you think about it in relationship to the first time I sang the melody through, you can hear that the intervals aren't correct. 
the relationship of the pitches to each other is not appropriate for what is expected of the sound. Now, here's the thing. A lot of times, if we hear someone do what I just did, ba, 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 <laughs> we can be quick to label them tone deaf. They can't sing in tune. Now, I want to spend a little time here with this idea of tone deafness because it's really important. That phrase, that term, it's gets thrown around so haphazardly, and you may have even thought it about yourself at times in the past. But tone deafness, for all intents and purposes, is a myth. There is a phenomenon that scientists, researchers have found that is called congenital amusia congenital amusia. And this is sort of the technical way of saying tone deafness. And contemporary science says that there are maybe as many as 4% of the population, 4% of people that struggle with this phenomenon. Now, before I tell you a little bit more about congenital amusia, I want you to understand that the only way someone could actually be tone deaf is if they were deaf, is <laughs> if they literally couldn't hear the pitch, or if there was a lesion to their brain, some sort of brain injury that has inhibited the cognitive function of understanding the sounds. Now, this is very, very, very few people to which this is the case. But scientists and researchers have identified this congenital amusia, which refers to, refers to someone who does not have a lesion to their brain, who is not um, struggling to hear, but then is not able to reproduce pitch like 96% of the population can. In fact, it's not even so much about reproducing pitch, but they're not able to identify a differentiation of pitch. Now, I got to tell you, I've read a lot of research and I've read more <laughs> in preparation for sharing this with you, but I've met a lot of um, individuals throughout the years who I believe the researchers in the papers that I have read would say suffered from or have congenital amusia. People for whom understanding the movement of sound is a big struggle. And typically those people then struggle greatly to reproduce sounds, reproduce intervals of pitch. You know, if I sang for you, for instance, that twinkle, twinkle little star in the way that someone like this might sing, they might even go... In essence, just reproducing the same pitch over and over again without really knowing it, without an awareness that that's the case. Now, my question about the research that I've read, based on my experience, is that while these people often lack this awareness, it's my experience that it can be learned. And I wonder if the researchers knew someone, <laughs> knew a voice teacher or a voice coach that understood the function of one's voice. 
Now, before I tell you what I mean when I'm talking about this function piece, let me just clear the deck here and say that we're probably not talking about you. <laughs> this congenital amusia thing, this tone deafness, it's probably not you. Remember, the research says that at most it's 4% of the people. And I know some of you are like, well, if there's even 0.5, it's usually me. No, no, it's probably not you. You're probably part of the 96% that can easily match pitch, can easily hear the differentiation between pitch, match pitch, reproduce pitch. Because for the 96% of us, singing, using our voice, matching pitch, singing in tune, is as natural and as simple as walking, as writing, as riding a bike, as throwing a ball. Because at its core, matching pitch is an act of coordination, coordinating the body, coordinating the body. So it's my belief that those people who really, really, really struggle to match pitch. Now, there is a spectrum of struggle, but I'm talking about that 4%. It's my experience and my opinion that they can learn to become better at it, but they also might struggle with it throughout their whole life. You know, I think athletic analogies are actually quite useful in talking about what it is that we're talking about. So I'll just go back to this idea of throwing something. Most of us are born with arms that have the ability to throw. And it's not something that you even necessarily need to be taught to do. If you think about a baby or a toddler hurling a toy across the room, it's just something that we seem to be able to coordinate. It becomes sort of an extra part of our natural capacity. And maybe if you are good at throwing when you're quite young, someone will encourage you to do more of it. And maybe you'll enjoy it. And maybe you'll find a sport that involves throwing and you'll get super skillful at it. Or maybe you're in a situation where you have to throw something, let's say in gym class when you're young, and you don't feel very skillful at throwing. You don't throw very far in comparison to everyone else. And maybe no one even says anything to you about it, but you just feel about yourself that you're not good at throwing. And so going forward, you avoid every situation that involves you throwing a ball or <laughs> throwing something at someone. Do you get where I'm going here? This is very similar to how the voice works. And I believe that a lot of people that naturally struggle with something often get a story around it and therefore don't condition themselves to get better at it. In fact, they might do go to great extremes to avoid that. So if from a young age, I believe that I struggle to match pitch, maybe I do struggle to match pitch. I don't have the natural ability that someone else does. I might do everything in my power to avoid it. And then that suddenly turns into a story in my head, which somehow manifests in my body and I avoid everything. And then when you ask me to match the pitch, the fear of God comes within me and I lose complete connection 
from with the awareness between my mind and my body. And when you tell me to sing Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, I just go ba 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 ba. Okay, are you following that trajectory here? So with time, with effort, with love, with compassion, and honestly, the time piece is huge because if I've spent a lot of years struggling and reinforcing the narrative that I'm someone that struggles, it's going to take some years to undo that. But remember, I'm talking specifically about a very, very small percentage of the population. For the rest of us, we are born with the capacity to just sort of do this thing. But that doesn't mean Actually, let me back up and say we are born the, with the capacity to do this thing pretty well, like moderate to good to great. But maybe you got the message that you struggle to do it. Maybe you specifically got the message that you're tone deaf or you struggle to sing in tune. And so that message turned into a reality in your body. The thing I find so fascinating about singing in tune is my experiences is that more often than not, I can ask someone whether they have the ability to sing most often in tune or not. Generally, I use the phrase, do you struggle to sing in tune? Does it feel difficult for you to sing in tune? And nine times out of 10, someone can self-identify. And so most of the time, people can sing in tune and they'll know that. And they'll generally say, well, I think most of the time I do. Great. Awesome. And then every once in a while, I'll meet someone that goes, you know, I have a really hard time hearing the pitch, matching the pitch, singing the pitch that I hear. And like I said, most of the time, those people are identifying correctly. So even right now, as I'm saying this, I know that you're thinking to yourself, <laughs> who am I? <laughs> am I the person that struggles or do I sing in tune most of the time? Now, there's a, a more context that you have to have here, though. When we're talking about singing in tune, we're talking about you singing pitches that are, in fact, even possible for you to sing. So if you're attempting to sing along to something or with someone that doesn't resemble your body, your voice, your capacity, it very well might be the case that you struggle to sing in tune with them. But given another context, given another voice, given another song, given another pitch range, you might not. There's also the issue of octave. So when I'm singing in the lowest part of my voice, if I sing ba 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 depending on what type of body you are in, that may be naturally lower than the capacity that your body has to sing. But relatively speaking, you could sing that same pitch range, those same pitch intervals, an octave higher. And in my voice, that would sound like So that would be relative to your body and it would still be in tune, just the octave higher. 
If that doesn't make sense to you, <laughs> don't worry about it. But here's the real meat of the whole thing that I want to share with you that I hope that you really understand and take to heart. When we are talking about someone who struggles to sing in tune, or when we're talking about you and the times that you're out of tune, and when we know for sure that you're being given <laughs> a song or a series of pitches or melodies that are appropriate for your body, when we know that for sure, we know that any sort of pitch issues that you're having are actually issues of coordination, coordinating the sound in your body, and even more specifically, we know that your pitch issues are register issues. Now, if you haven't been hanging out with me for a while, you might not understand vocal register, or you might think you understand vocal register, um, but I have created a resource on my website at davinyoungsvoice.com if you sign up for my five free essentials for transforming your voice. The very first essential is all about register. Register, register, register. So you'll get a free guide to understanding vocal register. But specifically when we're talking about register, we're talking about chest voice and head voice chest voice and head voice. And that refers to the type of vocal fold closure that you're getting. So inside your throat, inside your larynx, there are these two tiny pieces of tissue. They're called your vocal folds. You probably know them as your vocal cords, and they come together in a wave. And guess what? The measurement of that wave is very similar <laughs> to the measurement of a sound wave. Now, some pitches in your voice are happier in your chest voice. And some pitches in your voice are happier in your head voice. They're more easily made in those pitch range. In fact, I can even be more specific and say that lower pitches are generally easier, more easily produced in chest register, chest voice. Higher pitches are more easily produced in head register or head voice. Now, this gets complicated because we have the capacity to mix the two registers. And I'm not going to talk too much about the specifics of mix now, but what I want you to know is that every time you're singing any note, regardless of where you are in your voice, you are coordinating registration. You're coordinating vocal fold closure. And if you have worked with me or anyone who does functional vocal training, you have some awareness around that. You can identify when something feels more like your chest voice, your head voice, or a mix. And that's really, really the ultimate goal that makes you such a skillful singer. Okay, but here's the deal. If you sing a pitch, if you try to sing a pitch in a registration that your body is not happy to make it in, so for instance, simply speaking, if you were to try to bring your chest voice up too high to sing the pitch, the result might be an intonation issue. The sound might come out out of tune. And vice versa, if you were to try to bring your head voice down too low in a way that you weren't able to coordinate well in your body, the sound might come out out of tune. For most people, most of the time, pitch issues 
tuning issues, singing out of tune, those issues are a symptom and not a cause. A symptom and not a cause. They are a symptom of register imbalance, of an inefficiency of vocal fold closure. They are the symptom of not coordinating well (laughs) the register of your voice and the pitch range in which you're trying to sing. What happens to most of us in the moment when we hear ourselves singing out of tune, we can go down a whole path of story. One of the very first stories that people often adopt for themselves is that they haven't heard the pitch correctly. They'll maybe say, oh, I need to hear that again. They'll think that something about their ability to cognitively understand the pitch is faulty. And this is what I love to dispel because if you can just free yourself from this, it gives you so much more room to experiment and explore. But built within you is a reflexive capacity to just sing a note you hear, to just sing it. This again is the same capacity that you have if I were to take a ball right now and throw it at you. You have the capacity, the reflex to catch it quite quickly. Now that doesn't mean you're going to catch it. (laughs) It might hit you, but you know what'll really mess you up is if you stop and think to yourself that you have to catch it. If I am throwing at something at you and you think, oh, Davin's throwing something at me, I wonder what the best way to catch it right now is. (laughs) There's a good chance that what I threw at you is going to hit you. (laughs) Turns out the same thing is true with pitch. If you hear me sing, there's a chance that if you just let yourself immediately sing that back, it's going to come out pretty well. Or if you hear me go, ba, you might be able to duplicate that. Ba, 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 ba. Following me here? If you aren't duplicating the sound that I'm making, it probably means that you're not balancing the register properly, which is why we do the work that we do on our voice. It just means that you're not coordinating the sound well. You know what it doesn't mean? It doesn't mean you're a bad singer. Because what I'm telling you, that story that people have, the first one they have that goes, oh, I didn't hear it well. Oh, I got to hear that again. Generally, that manifests anxiety, tension in the body. But then the second story that comes is, oh, I'm, I'm not good at this. I must not be able to do this. And then it even goes further. Well, maybe I'm not supposed to sing. I guess I can't sing. I'm never going to be good at singing. <laughs> all of these stories, all of these anxieties, all of these fears that present themselves when we hear ourselves singing out of tune can and often do result in tension or constriction in the body, which just happens to be the enemy of the voice. Now, here's the thing, that register balance stuff that I told you about, when you try to make a sound, then it isn't balanced well. 
often what happens is the throat attempts to squeeze, to tighten, to get the appropriate vocal fold closure. So this turns into a bit of a cycle where the throat squeezes and then we are out of tune and then we feel some anxiety about the fact that we're out of tune. And so then we try harder and what happens in our body is we squeeze harder and all of these things propel our dysfunction forward. See, a voice that is balanced well in the body, a voice voice that feels free and easy is energized but is not tense, is not tight, is not contracted, is not constricted. A voice that feels free and easy in the body feels open. Now, even worse down this cycle, what happens is when we start to believe that we struggle to sing in tune, we start to rely upon tension. And you know what? Here's the thing. Sometimes tension achieves the result that we want. It gets us to the pitch But it gets us to the pitch at the expense of feeling uncomfortable in our body. Even worse, if you know what I know, you know that that tension, that constriction, that manipulation, that maneuvering, it's not sustainable. (laughs) It catches up with you eventually. It feels tight in your throat. You can get away with it. But especially as you get older, you find that you just can't keep doing that. You can't sustain. And then the pitch starts to close in. The pitch gets worse. This happens to so many people, which is why I began this conversation with this fundamental principle that you don't have to worry about singing in tune. You don't have to worry about singing in tune because your worry exacerbates the reasons that you're singing out of tune. When you hear yourself singing out of tune, It's a clue, a clue to some dysfunction in the way in which you're coordinating the sound in your body, which if you're sensitive to, you might be able to feel through some level of discomfort, some level of unnecessary tightness, some level of unnecessary constriction, some level of unnecessary tension, squeezing, pushing. Now, it's also the case that it could be too lax. I'm not saying that it's always tension, but often it's tension. <laughs> I meet I meet very, very few people that are too relaxed in their body. <laughs> Every once in a while, but most people need to better coordinate this idea of having wakeful energy in their body that is not propelled by constriction, tightness, and tension. When people are worried about singing out of tune, they don't enjoy singing. And people who enjoy singing are rarely worried about singing out of tune. Rarely worried about singing out of tune. In fact, intonation is not something they're considering when they're singing, especially in live performance. Now, there are some exceptions here, one of which is recording, which which is its own beast. And I'll just say briefly that... This gets complicated because of contemporary softwares that are used in recording, specifically Melodyne, which is a pitch correction tool. Most everything you hear on in contemporary recordings is influenced or affected in some way by Melodyne or pitch correction software. It's not true for everyone, but a lot of popular stuff. You're hearing some doctored version of the voice. And... 
take that as you will. You know, I, I think that it's a little bit unfortunate that we lose some of the human imperfection. And, and there are plenty of artists that are still committed to keeping that in their sound. But pop music as a whole relies heavily on this and it's become part of the expected aesthetic. I don't have a problem with it um, per se. My problem is, is that oftentimes people have unrealistic expectations of what their voice should do based on what it is that they're hearing in a recording. It's like always looking at your face through a filter on TikTok and expecting that your face would be like that. That's true of what happens to a lot of people with their voice. So then they start trying to manipulate and maneuver their throat, tighten their throat to reproduce an unrealistic expectation of the sound. And then that makes the singing experience unenjoyable. So my MO is to sort of pull back the filter to get you into the experience of using your voice with freedom and ease. Because here's the thing in performance, a lot of times, people are singing live. Most small concerts you go to, people are singing live. And the sound that you hear will often be imperfect. Now, big artists often use pitch correction software even in live performances. In fact, a lot of what you're hearing in reality television shows, performance shows, that sound is doctored after the fact. It's not it's not exactly as it was performed in the moment. And again, whatever. That's just the reality of reality shows. <laughs> <laughs> but when I go to my local jazz club, when I go to my local rock venue, when I go to see shows, I'm generally hearing voices in their freest form live. And what I'm hearing is imperfect. And you want to know the most amazing thing about the ear? It is so forgiving. If someone is routinely out of tune, if someone is routinely struggling to match pitch, don't worry. That would make me uncomfortable. But if someone sings a little out of tune once in a while, but still shows me their heart, gives me the essence of the story, connects me to the music, I don't care. I don't care. Because no human sings in the center of the pitch all the time. In fact, it's important as artists that we bend pitches, that we move pitches, that we wiggle with pitches. You know, I sang to you earlier, Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, in a very straight pitch-centered way. Let me do that again. Ba, 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 ba. Now, pitch-wise, that's fairly accurate. If you were to use Melodyne, the pitch correction software, with that, it would still correct it. What I just did there would not be good enough for the software. But if I were to sit down at the piano and play this and sing for you, Twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are. Lots of imperfection in that sound. And if I were to really make some wiggly, moving art out of it, I might go, Twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are. 
Do you hear how I'm bending and pulling on that a little bit more? That's definitely not ba 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 ba. But the idea of ba 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 is solidly in there. When I'm singing that, if I'm worried about singing in tune, I'll end up tightening my body. I'll end up constricting. I'll end up efforting my way into getting it right. I'll focus my brain on the pitches and I'll lose track of the music that needs to come through. Following me here, you don't have to worry about singing in tune. You have to figure out how to let your voice be free. And you know what comes with that? In tune singing. Now, just to go back to those technical pieces a little bit more here, if you are someone that struggles to sing in pitch, if you're someone who struggles to balance registration, there's only one way (laughs) to get better, and that's with help. That's with getting feedback on your voice, hearing where the problem areas are and understanding how to coordinate them better, doing exercises that will set you up for more success. And through repetition, you will be able to sing more in tune more often, and you'll be able to quiet the story that says that you can't sing in tune. But if I could wave a magic wand right now, even without all of that technical work that you might need to do, I would try to get rid of the narrative that you have about singing in tune being good. I would try to get rid of the narrative that you have about being someone who, who often is out of tune and doesn't sound good, who struggles to match pitch. I would try to take all of the emotion away from that and Peel it back just to this objective truth that we're trying to get your voice to function freely in your body. I would try to pull away any story you have about whether your voice is good or bad. I would try to pull away any of the experiences that you've had where you have sung out of tune and you've gotten the message from someone else that that must mean that you're not a good singer. It's bullshit. It's not true. You can get better the same way that you can get better at throwing a ball right now. The same way I can get better. (laughs) I might not be very good at it. I mean, God forbid I got asked to like throw the opening pitch at something. I'd probably mess that up. But if I knew in advance and if I practiced and if I understood the strength that I needed to develop in my arm and I understood how to hold my arm and understood how to hold the ball in my arm, there's a good chance that I could get better at that because I have an arm that it works and I have the coordination to throw. And because I do, I can chill out. <laughs> I can know that with some work and some effort, I can get better and I can see myself in the context of my life and how much effort I've spent and how much affirmation I've gotten, et cetera, et cetera. But I can get better and I can relax into where I am right now. I hope that you hear that as it relates to your voice. I hope that you take to heart this message I don't have to worry about singing in tune. I can just experiment. I can play. I can see where I am now. And I can give myself 
permission to not try to effort into something else, but rather get curious, get curious and maybe even just get feedback so I know how to do this better. So I can point myself in an even more skillful direction. Remember these things. You don't have to worry about singing in tune. Intonation issues, pitch issues are always coordination issues and are always registration issues. And when you worry about singing in tune, (laughs) by the very nature of the worry, you slow down the capacity of the instrument to sing in tune. And people who are singing in tune regularly aren't worrying about singing in tune. And if it causes more tension in your body, if it is achieved through the feeling of manipulating your throat, it's not in tune. It's definitely not in tune in the way that it's possible for you. Okay, my friend, does that all make sense? I hope so. Will you give me feedback? I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to know if there are areas you need clarification, if there are things that were big light bulbs for you. You can always reach out to me, davin at davinyoungsvoice.com, or you can just find me at davinyoungsvoice.com. You can find me on Instagram at davinyoungs, however you like. If you think this episode would be useful to someone else, will you please send it to them? Post about it on social media, share it through a text, DM, whatever. And also, if you would be willing to give me feedback in the form of a review on Apple Podcasts, I would love it. It would be super helpful for me. really helps inform the direction I want to go with future episodes. My hope is to just give you some really practical information, but also just open your mind to what the possibilities are around your voice. So until next time, peace.